Well, it is my opportunity to, to come in and share the word, and I haven't got to do it in quite some time, and hopefully I won't tell on myself too much than the things I've been doing and things I've been up to. But I've uh, been up in the youth department for quite some time, and uh, I truly enjoy it. It's one of the highlights of my life. It's always a unique thing when people say, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a youth pastor. And a lot of times they look at me like, uh-oh, I just said the wrong thing. But um, no, it's really a joy, and I've, I've enjoyed being with them. And they're, they're, like my, they're like my kids. I just got a bunch of them. And uh, we have a great time. We get up there and do everything. But I want to welcome you here for the Youth Sunday as well. And if you were like, oh, no, why is he preaching? It's time for us to leave. I'll tell you what, I'll, just, I'll close my eyes. We'll go into a fake prayer. And if you exit out the doors, you, you, I won't say nothing bad about you. I'm just joking. You're stuck. <clears throat> you had your chance to escape about 30 minutes ago when you realized it was us singing anyways. Besides that, the term escapology is a practice of exercising uh, escape from restraints or places or buildings. But an escapologist is an expert in escaping from restraints such as handcuffs and straitjackets, cages, coffins, bags. There was a unique escape artist back in the 1920s and 30s. His name was, y'all probably remember it, Harry Houdini, right? Harry Houdini. He could get out of anything. They would chain that man up and dunk him in water, and he would float up somehow. I never knew really how he did it. But he was an expert escapologist, and he would challenge anyone to see if he could get out of it. And in, in almost every situation, Harry Houdini was quite successful, except for on one particular challenge he took upon in a jail cell when he said he could get out of it because he was an expert lock picker. They put him in the jail cell, and Harry Houdini worked for over two hours trying to pick this lock and finally gave up. And he gave up and leaned against the door to realize that it had never been locked from the beginning. Well, you know, it would be convenient if we also had the ability to get out of bondage and get out of restraints if it was already done for us. And, and, and to be quite honest with you, that is exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the bondage that sin has upon us in our life and what it does and restrains us because sin has a tighter grip then anyone really probably realizes, and what you have to realize now is that it has already been unlocked for you, and you just have to take an opportunity to walk out the jail cell. And it would be convenient if we had those opportunities to do those things. As we consider ourselves today, and we look at captivity under the bondage of sin, we're going to look a little bit about the, the escape from truth as well. Because if we look around America today, we can realize that a lot of people avoid truth. They don't really want to talk about it. When you look at the latest political candidates in District 6 in the Fulton County area and DeKalb County area, they were talking about everything except the fact that there was sin is exactly what's wrong with that particular uh, district. You know, it's, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not the people that are doing wrong that's making it bad. They, they always feel like it's something else. And so they never mention sin anymore. It's, it, and if you go, if you like, I, I volunteer with a... With a a court-appointed special advocates group called CASA. And if you ever go in and sit in, in a court trial, you will hear the defense attorney really try to explain the reason as to why the mom or dad are no longer capable of being fit parents. It's never their fault. It's always something else that has caused the problem. And when we think about that, we just like to talk around truth. 
We just talk around it. It's no longer acceptable really to talk about sin. And we look at the titles that we have for things out there in the world. And arsonists, well, they're not sick. They got pyromania syndrome. If somebody goes and they shoot up an area, which happens quite often on the news, it's not their fault. It's the fact that they grew up in poverty. They were the, they were the victim to the situation. Homosexuality is not a sin anymore. It's a genetic birth defect. Sex outside of marriage. It's okay because everyone's already doing it. But here the reality is, no matter what you want to call it, sin is sin, and the consequences will always be what the Bible says it will be. And before we get into the sin and, and the slavery of sin and talking about sin, I want us to look about a couple of things about this before we get started. I first want you to understand what God has already done about sin. And we've already celebrated a few weeks ago the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what God has already done about sin. And so you have to start with that, that acknowledgement that sin has already been taken care of, but we're still in bondage under it because we choose that way. He's given us a new life through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Sin's power is broken. He has given us the new nature. You, you share in this new life. You have new freedom in this life, but you don't have to let sin control you. And so as we get into the word, I want you to turn into your Bibles to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. My youth, you can turn into your fake Bibles called your iPhones. Hopefully, you brought a Bible because you need to understand that this is where you get God's word. This is how we understand when sin's taking control of our life. We don't put enough effort in this thing anymore. We don't carry it around like we used to. But in the book of Romans, before we get too, too far into the, to the weeds of Romans, you got to understand who wrote Romans. And so the apostle Paul, he wrote the, the letter to the Roman people. He was preparing them for his visit, but prior to his arrest, he was on his way to Spain to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth. The Roman church was mostly Jewish, but it contained a great number of Gentiles. It was written around the 50th AD, just about 20 years after the death of Christ. So this is very relative, and they understand things. And so this book of Romans is one of the most life-changing letters ever written by Paul. It's one of the great ones. In fact, the contributors... Uh, uh, that had uh, to the theology and to the church where had their life changed by reading the book of Romans. And so Paul had his Holy Spirit when he penned the letter of this book, and therefore it's vitally important for you and I today. But let's look at Romans 6, 16. Don't you realize that you became a slave of whatever you choose to obey? Paul, as he always does in introductory here, it's customary with him that he always assumes that his readers already know what he's talking about. In this case, his readers would have been familiar with the word slavery. They would have understood what that meant. It's a habitually giving to something or someone, having something master over you. For the people in the ancient world, when they would get in financial trouble, they would actually sell themselves into slavery in order to avoid financial disaster. So they knew what slavery was. But Christians today must recognize that we're constantly to yield to the voice of temptation that would effectively become of us as well, slaves again back to sin. So Jesus said in 834 as well, every person who's committed sin is a slave to sin. That's what Jesus said. Paul said the same thing. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And he goes on to describe unsaved people as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. And we have a way around that in America, right? When a particular sin becomes 
popular enough, we just rewrite the law so it makes it okay. That's, that's kind of what we do. We, don't, we just ignore the fact that it has a temptation to us to enslave us. I want to give you the most profound psychological, spiritual facts of life, to be honest with you. It is the nature of human life to be under subjection at all times to a power greater than itself. We were made to be mastered by a greater power. It's not the will man be mastered, it's who will master man. So man is never totally free. We will be mastered by the sin of the world or by the savior of the world. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says no one can serve two masters. By implication, he's saying that we will have a master. And we can look back into Genesis when God is speaking to Cain. And he told Cain, who murdered his brother, he said, Cain, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must master it. Either sin is mastered or sin is the master. And we look at sin in our evil generation in wells. We enslaved ourselves in sin. And prior to the floods of Noah, that wicked generation was enslaved to sin. They were ingrained in it. And throughout the Bible, we can see this, this reoccurring pattern in the book of Judges, where the people of God, they would deny God and let sin get between them and their Lord. And they would be oppressed and they would cry out in despair for deliverance. And God would deliver them and save them from their enemies just to have them repeat it again and again. Nothing good ever comes from sin. I found this neat little story in 1896. A boxing champion was a name they called Kid McCoy. And one day he fought a contender who was deaf. And near the end of the third round, McCoy took a step back and pointed to the opponent's corner, signifying that the bell had rang. His opponent dropped his gloves, and when he did, McCoy knocked him straight out. This is how sin works in its dominion over human life. It lies to us. It causes us to drop our defenses and then delivers the knockout punch. In 2 Samuel verse 11, as we study more about sin, we're going to look at one of the greatest kings, one the one after God's own heart, David himself in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, David is about to allow the blindness of sin to cause him to fall deeper and deeper. And now he could have stopped all this, but once it has started, it's difficult to stop. And so in the very first verse of verse 1, when he didn't even go with his own armies, it was customary for the kings around the time springtime would come about. The king would usually pull up his army if they had enemies to go defeat, and he would go with them. In this situation, David didn't go. We don't know. Maybe he, had, maybe he was sick. But in this situation, he didn't. And he gets up one morning, and he gets out of the bed, and he looks out his window, and he sees a young woman down in, the, in, down in the springs bathing. And the voice of temptation starts to overcome him. His desire for lust overtakes him. And we see the fall of David with Bathsheba, the judgment that would come through the cover-up and the murder David's sin with Bathsheba says three critical things every person needs to understand about sin. First, sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go. One lustful look by David, and he progressed into adultery, deceit, and murder. And I'm sure if we had an opportunity to ask David, did he really mean that, he would say he probably never meant it to go that far. But sin will take you farther than you ever needed to go. I told the youth about this story a couple Wednesdays ago. Back in Conyers, Georgia, where I grew up, on Highway 138, there used to be this awesome parking lot called Kroger. And for whatever reason, it was a car show every Friday night. Big jacked-up trucks, little low-rider trucks. But 
we all congregated there and we, we hung around around the McDonald's. And in one particular situation, I come walking up. I'd gotten out of my truck, set it all up for the car show that it was supposed to be. And I walked over to one of my buddies, and he was sitting on the back of the tailgate, and he had something in his hand. It was a little, little round uh, cylinder thing, and he was doing this. And he was like, I said, what is that? What's that? He said, oh, man, this is Copenhagen. Everybody's doing Copenhagen. Don't you know what that is, Jason? I said, oh, absolutely. I do that all the time too. And he said, oh, you want some? I said, oh, yeah, I want some of that. So he hands me the, the cup, and I opened it up. And, and really, I never intended for it to even go this far. I was really hoping he would say, I don't have enough, I can't share but unfortunately, he wanted to share, and so he did. And so I reached into this Copenhagen can, and I pulled out a big wad of it. And I was like, okay, they're all watching. What, is I, what am I going to do next? <laughs> and so I just looked at everybody around me. Everybody had it between their, their tooth and their lip, and it was sticking out nice and fat. So I figured that was the way you're supposed to do it. So I stuck it on down in there, and I'm like, I'm one of the boys now. And then about probably what felt like three seconds later, Something was burning a hole through my lip. And I didn't know what to do next. And now I'm starting to get a hot flash. And I feel as if though my skin is turning green. And there's a, there's a little bit of something going on down here in the gut area. And I am in trouble. I never intended for it to go this far. I really didn't. And so now I'm trying to make my escape. I'm trying to figure out any way and how to get out of this situation. So I just quickly said, I, you know, I got to use the bathroom. I'll be back. And as I got closer to the McDonald's, I was in a full-out sprint. And by the time I got to the bathroom, nothing was coming up, but I felt like it wanted to come up. And I was in despair. But I never intended for it to go that far. And I, that's how me and you end up as well. We got this under control. We can do this. It's not going to control us, and what could possibly happen? But we let it go too far. You know, and I don't have a whole lot of time, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, the youth, we went to a winter retreat, and we went up to Gatlinburg, very beautiful place, and we're up there, and we just, on our schedule, we decided to do a hiking trip, which by all accounts is a simple thing. You get on a trail, you go to the end of it, you turn around, you come back. So here we are, we're on this trail, and, and about 40 youth decided they wanted to go, and nobody wanted to stick together. You had about 10 of them that took off running, along with some of the adults. And so uh, we had gotten stretched out. Now, unfortunately, I started this hiking trip about 3.30 in the afternoon, and the sun sets in the mountains about 5.20, because I looked it up. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I know I'm a pretty good athletic guy, and I know I can make it to where I want to get to and get back in plenty of time if I was by myself. But unfortunately, with youth, they're a little harder. So we stretched out about, we had about a good mile-long uh, stretch between the top group and the back group. And, of course, my lovely wife was calling me on her cell phone, letting me know that we are not going to make the end result where I wanted to go. I wanted to go a little further. We're not going to make it. So I decided to cut that group off and send them back. And I went running after the 17 others that were ahead of me. And we called up to them, and we decided, you know what? I think we can do it. If we hurry, we can make it to the point where we can see the beautiful overlook. We'll take our Snapchat pictures, and we'll double back. We'll be okay. Well, we probably should have not have gone that far. But unfortunately, we went a little further. And we got to the top of the point of the mountain, and we said, you know what? My brother told me if you'll continue on this trail, it drops back down into a little creek, and the creek has a trail on it, and it'll walk you right back out to the road. You'll be safe and sound back home before midnight. And, well, a little bit before a little bit of night. <laughs> 
So we started down that trail, and, and there it was, just like you said. There it was. And we start walking on this trail, and we're on our way out, and then all of a sudden that trail disappears. There is no more trail. And, and everybody's looking at me, okay? Because you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I am a captain in the United States Army. And so I'm supposed to have some, like, you know, coordinates and bearing and know where I'm supposed to be going. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, we, we'll figure something out. So we jump back on some trail. We found something in the mountains, and we start hiking back up this trail. Before we know it, we're not going toward the road anymore. We are going back into the mountains where, you know, the bears and the darkness is awaiting for us. And so at some point, we decided to make a decision. We said we're going to leave the trail, and we're going to work our way back to the road. And we did, and we left the trail. And what I didn't anticipate was when it got dark and we had no lights, that we were going to have a very hard time finding our way back to this road. And so there we were. We left the trail at approximately, and I think I'm pretty close to this. We left the trail approximately at 5 o'clock. And I said, by all accounts, we're 2,500 feet, which is half a mile. We can make it to the road in less than 20 minutes. Three hours later, (laughs) we made it to the road, and we were pretty scraped up. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, I don't know know if there's a bear in these woods. Which kid am I going to kick into that bear? <laughs> and then what kind of story am I going to have to make up in order to cover myself? But, you know, I, I never intended for that hiking trip to go that long. It just took its own course. It took its own control over us. And before we know it, knew it, we were further out and longer and stressed out and dehydrated and hungry and cut up more than we ever intended to go. But that's what sin will do to you. It will take you further than you intended to go. Also, sin will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. I only intended to stay on that trail for a good two hours. And I ended up spending about six hours. But I never thought that's what I was planning on doing. And neither did David. David thought he was involved in a one-night stand. He was a king. He could repair the damages. His one-night dream turned into a lifelong nightmare. His sin was ever before him. The temptation that comes with the assurance that we can commit the sin, enjoy the pleasure, and be done with that is a lie. Monkey trappers in North Africa have an ingenious way of trapping monkeys. They, they fill this bowl, and they cut a hole in it, and they fill it with nuts, and the monkey reaches in there to grab the nuts, and when it balls its fist up, it can't get its hand back through the hole. And it's not smart enough to know to let go and open its hand. It could get away. But we're like that monkey as well. You know, we could be free of sin if we just let it go. But we can't see that sin that keeps us longer than we ever intended to stay. Thirdly, sin will cost you far more than you ever intended to pay. David had to be confronted by Nathan. He experienced guilt. His baby died. His family followed in his footsteps, and he didn't get to build the temple. Today, families are breaking apart. Young men and women are losing their lives. Lives are being destroyed because they never intended to pay the full price of sin. You know, if we ask, ask an alcoholic if he ever intended to pay the full price of losing his family, losing his job, losing everything, I'm sure he would say that's not what I intended to do. That wasn't the pi- price I intended to pay. So we see the slavery of sin and the effects of what it does to us. Second point is the shamefulness of sin. In verse 21, we see the shamefulness of sin as Paul writes. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. That's a good thing. We want to be slaves of God. We want to be in obedience of God. What benefit do we have from avoiding God? But sin will do that. 
Sin will make you ashamed. Look at what it did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. She was ashamed. Adam was well. They were ashamed of their nakedness, and they ran. They hid. They were ashamed, and people do it in the churches all the time. They have sin in their life, and instead of presenting themselves before God, they run from it, and they, don't, they avoid church because they're ashamed of who they become. It is a devastating thing to see sin ruin somebody's life. The adulterous woman in John 4 was also ashamed. And we see this encounter with Jesus. And she was so ashamed that she was who she was. She didn't even come out to get water during the coolness of the day. She came out in the heat of the day in the afternoon. And she has this encounter with Jesus. And she recognizes her shame of her sin. And Jesus says, stop sinning. Stop sinning. You ain't got to be ashamed no more. And she runs and she tells people. People today, though, are, are, are no longer ashamed of their, their sin. You know, they, they're proud of it. We boast about it. It seems like some of the worst things that have happened here lately, people have put it on Facebook Live. How can you be proud of killing somebody? That makes no sense to me. Or when people do foolish things, these kids, all the time, they're doing foolish things, and they put it on Facebook Live. It's because they're not ashamed of what they're doing. They don't understand the right and wrongs. And we boast about it. And so we see the consequences of sin. And we see the seriousness of sin. In verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There are two deaths resulting from sin, body and soul. And Jesus is our escape from the slavery, the shamefulness, and the seriousness of sin. A man went out hunting one evening, and he was happened to be hunting bears. Are there any bear hunters in here? Got a few bear hunters? I don't know if I'd want to shoot that thing. But as he trudged through the forest, much like our hiking trip... He was looking for this huge animal, and he came upon this large and very steep hill. Thinking perhaps it was a bear just on the other side, he climbed the incline, and just as he was pulling himself up over the last ledge, a huge bear met him nose to nose. The bear roared, and the man was so scared that he lost his balance, and he fell down the hill. With the bear following not far behind, as he tumbled down the hill, he lost his gun. He finally reached the bottom, only to realize that he had broken his leg. Escape was impossible for this man. He had never been that religious, but today he decided to pray, God, if you will make this bear a Christian, I'll be happy for whatever you give me, and I will do whatever you tell me to do for the rest of my life. The bear was no more than three feet away when it stopped, dead in its tracks, looked up to heaven, fell to its knees, and prayed in a loud voice, Oh, Lord, bless this food that I'm about to receive. You see, the reality is, when you pay for sin and death, there is but a small opportunity there for you to really glorify God. Isn't it more exciting to use the breath that God gave us, the feet that he gives us to walk, the hands he gives us to go out and touch our community, to tell people about who he is? Isn't that more exciting than waiting to the last minute? I get so sad when I hear people say, I accepted Lord Jesus on my deathbed. And 
We're excited that they had the opportunity. I think you would have a, a more delightful life if you walked with Jesus hand in hand, foot in foot, and avoided this slavery, this thing called sin that is destroying, destroying us. Not only is it destroying us as individuals, it's destroying our churches, it's destroying our communities, it's destroying our nations. We're wrought with it. It's everywhere. As our vocalists get ready to come up here and, and start, you see, ironically, many of us do wait to that last minute decision to turn from sin in obedience to God. Verse 23, very, very clear. For the wages of sin is death. And you know, when I think about that, that fine and I think about having to pay that, that price, it's almost a fair price because God gave us such a glorious opportunity to glorify him. And many of us don't do it. So as much as I gripe about it, it seems kind of fair. But the reality is, Jesus has already paid that price. When he went to the cross and he took the beatings, he took the beatings. He was paying the price. And when they nailed him to the cross, he was still paying the price. And he didn't do it for himself to gloat for himself. He did it for everyone. And so you and I have this awesome opportunity to... Come to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus, and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. And you've paid the price for me, and all I have to do is ask you for the forgiveness and turn from my wicked ways. And after you forgive me, I'm not going to go back there like so many of us do. So many of us use it as a credit card. We use Jesus just like a credit card. We, 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 we swipe it. We tack on the debt there. We pay it off. We just put it right back on there. I don't want to treat Jesus like a credit card. That was God. It was God in flesh. And he loves me. And he loves you. And his desire for you is to tell people about him, first of all, and follow him in everything he does. And let him lead you and guide him. Guide you. He will guide you. So let's not let sin reach out for us any longer. Jesus already paid it. As our vocalist sings, you stand if you would, please.